Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the final edition of the programme for this week, John Paul, taking your calls at 1850 333103. We'd love to hear from you. You can text or WhatsApp 086 103103. And of course, the news we were waiting for yesterday broke when we went off air in the afternoon, and that was that AstraZeneca, uh, the European Medicines Agency, uh, their investigation into AstraZeneca, they said it was safe and effective. And now we're waiting on health authorities in this country to give the go ahead to allow for the AstraZeneca vaccine to resume. The European Medicines Agency, Emer Cook, said they reached a clear scientific conclusion and had not found the vaccine associated with an increase in overall risk of blood clots. However, it did find a small number of cases of rare and unusual, but they did admit very serious clotting uh, disorders and they couldn't rule out definitively a link between these cases and the vaccine, but they still said it is very safe and it is okay to to administer it to people. There will be patient information leaflets now going with the Astra, well, I'm assuming it always went with the AstraZeneca, but it will draw attention to possible rare conditions to help people who receive the vaccine and to be aware of any possible wide effects. Dr. Ronald Glynn, the acting chief medical officer, said the findings were last night being examined by the National Immunisation Advisory Committee and they'll be brought to the Department of Health today and then a recommendation to resume rollout is expected and there are around 30,000 people whose appointments were cancelled this week. They reckon they are going to be the first to be offered the jab. However, the big worry... I think that a lot of people in Neffet and I imagine a lot of doctors also have is the fact that there will now be some hesitancy amongst some people around the taking of the jab. And I think that's going to be a huge, huge concern. And people who may have been nervous about getting the vaccine anyway now, I think are going to be even more uh, hesitant. So I think there's going to have to be a job of work done to convince people that it is safe and it is okay for them to get this particular jab. And we're not the only only country, of course, who paused the rollout of AstraZeneca. A host of European countries have announced they will now be resuming using AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. The French Prime Minister was probably one of the first. He said the country will begin vaccinating people again with AstraZeneca. They're actually doing it from today, while Italy and Germany have said they will now return to administering the jab uh, following what the EMA said yesterday. Spain, Portugal and the Netherlands all expected to follow suit next week. Although Spain are one of the countries to say they're excluding certain groups, so will We'll wait to see what Neffet announce later on and obviously they'll base it on what they hear from from NIAC but it will be interesting to see will they decide that there will be a certain group of people 
that they will decide not to give this particular jab, that instead that they'll go with maybe the Pfizer or the Moderna jab. We're going to have to wait and see. But it's looking like of all the European countries, Spain seems to be the only one that are going to continue to give AstraZeneca, but they exclude certain groups that don't have. I'll see if I can find out what are the certain groups that they are going to exclude. But they, along with the other European countries, are going to, they also, like Ireland, had paused um, actually giving out AstraZeneca and it caused a lot of upset and worry to people who had been lined up to get the jab this week, particularly people in the at-risk groups who had been moved up the priority list. Many of those people suffering from very, very serious health conditions who are at a huge risk, a possible risk of even dying if they picked up COVID-19 and those people were so desperate to get their jab. So they were so disappointed when the news broke last weekend that they were getting cancelled for their jab for this week. So how quick they can get those jabs back up and running again hopefully we'll have some information today from an effort on that but I think it's we have 50,000 of the jabs ready to go some of them I'm assuming though will possibly be for people who are due maybe to get a second uh, jab but certainly 30,000 were due to get it this week and then there's another 9,500 I think arrived actually are arriving this weekend to add to the 50,000 that we already have in cold uh, storage and there's a bit of a to-do going on by the way with the Taoiseach and the opposition calling the Taoiseach out. This was something I spoke about yesterday when I was speaking about St. Patrick's Day and how the Taoiseach Michal Martin had had his virtual St. Patrick's Day meet-up with President Joe uh, Biden and the opposition now are calling out Michal Martin to say, did you ask Joe Biden if he could give us a loan of some of the vaccines that they have in cold storage because it seems in America there are 7 million doses of AstraZeneca that are actually being stockpiled and the reason they're being stockpiled is that the AstraZeneca hasn't been given the go-ahead by the American Medicines Board to be administered. So they're not using AstraZeneca at the moment, but they did have an order in for AstraZeneca. So they're stockpiling the 7 million of these doses. And there had been talks before the Taoiseach had his virtual meeting with Joe Biden. There had been talks about would he ask him for a loan of some of those vaccines and that when they then start to administer them and when we've we'll get to the stage where we'll have so many of our country have received the vaccine. We can give them back the AstraZeneca that will be coming to us, say, later on in the year. That will be the idea of giving them on uh, loan. And it looked like Micheál Martin said that Joe Biden, when talking about COVID-19, that they were doing everything they could to give jabs to their own people. So it looked like they didn't have any spare vaccines. That's what I picked up from what Micheál Martin had to say. But the Labour leader now is calling out Micheál Martin because Washington have confirmed that they are sending four million vaccines to Canada and Mexico Mexico under a loan agreement. For example, they're giving two and a half million doses to Mexico and they're giving one and a half million doses to Canada. Now, it is a loan agreement. They will get it back uh, from them when they start administering AstraZeneca in uh, America. And now Alan Kelly, the Labour leader, is calling out Micheál Martin and saying, did you, did he even broach the subject of a loan of some of these vaccines from the US? I know since the spokesperson for Micheál Martin has said that the US allocation of vaccines is solely a matter for the US uh, government. But I think we are going to hear more about that. Did Micheál Martin even ask? But if they've given 
two and a half million doses to Mexico and they're giving one and a half million doses to, to Canada. Is it still worth making a phone call to Washington to say you have seven million stockpiled? I mean, a million doses coming from the States on loan would make a huge, huge difference to the rollout of the vaccine in this country, uh, for sure. And then ministers, according to some of the newspapers today, are split on the easing of the five kilometre travel restriction next month. And this obviously is over concerns about the country's progress in the battle against uh, COVID-19. It seems public health chiefs last night are indicated advice against non-essential overseas travel. Well, I think nobody was expecting that and they're also saying that working from home must remain in place until the end of June but a decision hasn't been made on whether the five kilometre restriction will be lifted on the 5th of April or not. Some of the Cabinet believe that the incidence of COVID-19 not low enough to warrant a relaxation while others are saying that the government will lose vital public buy-in if the five kilometre restriction is not changed in some way. I mean, yesterday we had 582 cases of the disease. Now, thankfully, there was no deaths, but still 582 new cases. That still is a lot of cases. And Philip Nolan uh, said the reproduction number, and this is the one you would worry about, which is the measure of how many people each case infects. That's gone up. That's now at 0.8. It's gone, and they think it could even be gone over one. It's between 0.8 and 1.1. And at one stage, we had that down to 0.6, and it looked like it was even going below 0.6, which I remember Philip Nolan at the time was celebrating and saying, this is great news, we have to keep doing it. But there seems to be a slippage somewhere along the way, and now that R number is going back up again. One government source, according to the Irish Times newspaper today, says an easing of restrictions on April 5th could be along the lines of what's happening in Northern Ireland and the government source says that's the best that we could hope for. Now what's happening in Northern Ireland is the focus is on small outdoor gatherings. They're also having some sporting activities uh, returning. They're going back to click and collect services but obviously reopening of construction would also remain in the balance here. And the one thing about the lifting of the five kilometre rule and I think everyone is so hopeful that come April the 5th there will be some easing of the five kilometre rule but how much will they ease it by? Will they allow us to travel across the county? Will the five kilometre just go to 10 kilometres? Will it just go to 20 kilometres? And really what difference will that make to a lot of people? I think for all of us what we would love is the idea that we could be able to move right across the county. I don't think anyone was expecting we're going to be able to move anywhere around the country, but if we could even move across the county. But I think even going from five kilometres to ten kilometres, I don't know if that's going to satisfy enough people. But it's worrying because the numbers are still stubborn. You know, they're stubborn. They seem to be stuck more than anything. But the fact that the R number has gone up to between 0.8 and could even be over at one, if that is the case, that means those cases of 582 that we announced yesterday, they will continue to go up and up. And if we see a rise in those numbers, then definitely I think we're going to see little or no easing of restrictions come April the 5th. As somebody says, Patricia, when you're talking about the 5K, don't be worried about it. People are already well going over their 5K uh, by travelling from the county areas into the city. On the AstraZeneca, a listener said, my brother's boss in Ohio in America got a clot after the AstraZeneca and is uh, lucky to be a 
alive. Well, that's actually impossible because they're not giving the AstraZeneca jab in the States. So if he got a blood clot, he didn't get it from AstraZeneca. He, got, he must have got it from some other uh, vaccine uh, instead. And then Michael says, Patricia, every tablet you take, every single bit of medicine you take that you get from a doctor, all of them come with possible side effects. Even the most commonly taken tablet, like a paracetamol, for example. How many people read the leaflet and what it says on the sleeve? All of the possible side effects, including blood clotters, tremors, headaches, disturbed vision, sweating, dizziness and many more. For that reason, AstraZeneca is no different from any other medication. Whoever is offered a vaccine should take it as it's helpful to protect you somewhat. Remember and beware to watch the third wave that is gathering momentum across Europe. Thank you, says Michael. Yeah, this really worrying signs coming out from Italy and God knows Italy was absolutely devastated at the start of this pandemic and they're really starting to panic because it looks like they're going into a similar situation again. 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now additional intern jobs created last year for newly qualified medics have been scaled back by the HSE for 2021 despite the ongoing COVID-19 battle. While hundreds of doctors' roles will be cut from the frontline nationwide, Dr Cormac Duff joins me to discuss what it means for us here in Cork. And uh, Dr Cormac Duff is part of Keep Our Doctors uh, campaign. Uh, Good morning to you, Cormac. Uh, Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. Well, you're very welcome. Looking at our Cork hospitals, how many roles will actually be cut by this decision? So this decision will cut 27 doctors across Cork hospitals. So doctors will be lost all across Cork from CUH, Le Bonds, Le Mercy, uh, Sat Infirmary, uh, to elsewhere in Mallow, Bantry and the Mitchellstown GP practice. So every single hospital in the area really is going to be affected. Just explain what happened this time uh, last year that was different to previous years. Yeah, so um, in any typical year, um, there's about 1,200 medical graduates from Irish universities. And about 746 of those are offered posts to work as interns in Irish hospitals. Um, so hundreds of others would normally go abroad and work in other healthcare systems. So work in the UK, US, Canada or elsewhere. Uh, last year, in response to the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the government brought out uh, 350 additional intern positions uh, to help the health service uh, fight off COVID. Uh, unfortunately, the plan is to uh, completely remove these positions this July. Uh, so this July, Cork will be set to lose 27 doctors and across Ireland we'd lose 350 doctors from the front line. And the decision, am I right in saying it mainly affects non-EU students? Exactly. Um, so typically uh, Irish students will have first pick when it comes to intern jobs. Um, so every Irish student who graduate would, uh, would get a job uh, but non-EU students, so students who've come here from Canada, from the United States, who've been living in Ireland for the last five to six years, who've been uh, in our hospitals, who know our health service, uh, the minute they get, they get their degree, they're shown the door. Um, it doesn't make any sense. We're exporting the doctors we've trained, is what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. We train more medical graduates than any other European countries, yet we have a shortage of doctors, because the minute they're ready to work, the minute they're ready to help Irish patients in full, um, we showed them the door. And the knock-on effect, uh, Cormac, is on all the other frontline staff, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, when there are fewer uh, interns available to work, 
uh, it means that uh, workload gets higher for both um, Irish interns and for other medical staff. Um, So, for example, um, uh, surgeries can be delayed uh, for uh, hip replacements, for knee replacements, because there are fewer interns on the ward to look after patients, uh, to consent them for surgeries and to help them with any post-operative complications. And we have huge waiting lists that unfortunately have gotten even longer because of the pandemic. I mean, these interns, they could help reduce some of those waiting lists. They do. Uh, when I was a medical intern, um, I was working on a psychiatry team and I saw uh, people in an outpatient clinic um, with depression, anxiety. And with my five years of medical training, I was able to help these people in a supervised setting with consultants. Um, so there's no reason that these interns couldn't see patients in outpatient clinics. They couldn't scrub in for surgeries and they couldn't help uh, reduce our uh, months and years long waiting lists for Irish patients. OK, stay there because I want to bring in West Cork Independent Doll Deputy Michael Collins because Michael has actually contacted us on the programme about this uh, issue. Uh, good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. Michael, you're hearing from some of these young doctors. They want to remain in Ireland. They want to remain in Ireland by all means, uh, Patricia, but we also need them uh, to be here because when the Minister um, uh, made the decision last year to take on all these extra uh, newly qualified doctors, he certainly he thought this pandemic wouldn't last 12 months. Now, we know well that we're still in a level five. The pandemic has gone on and on. And we and, and to be quite honest with you, uh, hospitals have been stretched, but they cope because they were stacked. And I, I, I think, you know, we're becoming complacent here in this country. And the minister, it was raised in the doll last week, uh, this specific issue. Um, uh, I, I think he, he's making a very serious mistake. The HC are making a mistake. And I'm just hoping that the pressure, you know, the 4,000, I think, petitions that's been signed in, in, in West Cork alone uh, to, to uh, make, make sure that we can have these doctors stay in our hospitals, whether that be Bantry, CUH, Bonskewers. These doctors, these newly qualified doctors have kept people alive. And, and, and patients are going to suffer, Patricia, if this decision uh, goes ahead. We have to try and fight to, 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 get, to get, get a change of mindset here in the government. And Cormac, when it was announced last year, um, it was hailed, wasn't it, as a great decision by Leo Varadkar at the time? Yes, so Leo Varadkar announced this publicly at the graduation of uh, medical students at Cork, Cork University Hospital. And he said at the time that we've been quite unfair to... Um, uh, international graduates uh, from Irish universities that we haven't offered them the same job opportunities as, as Irish students. Um, so it's just very disappointing and frustrating to see the government roll back on this, this year uh, to leave Irish hospitals understaffed and to leave uh, graduates from Irish universities jobless. Is it a cost issue, Cormac? How much more would it cost? I think it ultimately is a cost issue. The cost would be approximately €9 million Euro for the uh, three, uh, 350 interns. However, this is on a health budget of seventeen yeah, million, that's yeah. seventeen thousand million. It's a fraction. And as well, you save money in the long run by uh, getting patients better, by getting them home sooner. Um, it means that uh, it means that the savings in the hospital are huge, and uh, hospitals throughout the country have found that the patient flow is much improved with more boots in the ground, with more interns. Yeah, and Michael Cormack was explaining, I mean, here for us here in Cork, it's it's twenty seven roles is what we're talking about spread across all of the hospitals, even the hospitals in the county like Mallow and Bantry that were always fighting so hard uh, to keep every position going in, in those uh, hospitals. But this is, this is a nationwide issue. I mean, when it was raised in the Dáil, I mean, have you raised it with the Minister for Health? We have. I have certainly been uh, trying to contact the Minister for Health directly. We, we, we've uh, 
uh, sent in uh, questions uh, for him to respond to. It was raised in the doll last week uh, by Matty McGrath, uh, TD, uh, to the Taoiseach. Taoiseach said he was unaware um, and can happen in these things uh, and he'd be in contact with the Minister. So we're hoping, unfortunately, there was no doll this week. So that uh, has kept us in a situation that we can't get straight answers from the Minister. We will be working on this first team of the doll next week, um, my independent colleagues and myself, and I, I would expect other uh, TDs as well because this is, this is, a, this is a very poor... Um, uh, poorly thought through uh, plan to cut, to cut these jobs at this time. We have, like generally, we have a huge shortage of GPs and pediatricians in this country. And, and the funny thing is, should we train more doctors than any other country? And yet, um, we have we have, we employed a few at the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we have we, we have another crisis in my view. Uh, we're facing another crisis after COVID. You know, there's massive waiting lists. There's a lot of people need to be attended to. These um, uh, newly qualified doctors are going to be uh, a, a massive chance for us to at least try and clear the backlog that's there. You know, and I look at my own hospital in Bantry, the hard work that's going on there. As much staff as humanly possible is needed during this pandemic, and we're still in the midst of a pandemic. We have an endoscopy unit and a physiotherapy unit that's been promised the Bantry Hospital hasn't been delivered. So we certainly need the expertise that are there and not take more ex- experts from uh, from the hospital. And these doctors are, are desperately badly needed, and we need to push that issue next week in the door. OK, Corma, when do they graduate? How, mu- what, how much time do we have to get this decision reversed? Uh, so we've less than four months to get oh. the decision reversed. So by July 12th, these doctors will be cut um, and will still be in the middle of COVID then. We've heard yesterday that our level five is going to continue until the end of June. Um, so we'd urge Minister Donnelly to make a decision as quickly as possible, keep doctors in Cork and we're seeing these doctors across the country. And you have an online petition that people can sign, Cormac? We do. So we have an online petition to Dr. Stephen Donnelly to retain our Irish trained doctors. And you can follow us on Twitter with the Keep Our Doctors hashtag. Okay, Keep Our Doctors. Okay, listen, uh, Cormac, thank you for that. Good luck with it and thanks for joining us on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, Michael, if you can uh, stay with us, uh, please, just on, on, a, on another issue uh, that we just want you to clarify, uh, please. This is to do with a post that went up on uh, social media. Can you clarify that you didn't spend a night in a pub in Dublin? No, first of all, I don't... Um I don't know any pub that's opened in Ireland, never mind Dublin. I don't think there is no unfairness. There hasn't been for months and months and months. I think people are, on, you know, doing their best to, to abide by the rules, and I certainly have to abide by the rules. What happened was, and, and, and it blew out of proportions. Um, I, I, my partner b- uh, bought a little uh, ticket online for a Nathan Carter concert, and um, I was actually working with Cork on, on St Patrick's Day because I, I was in a few ones, and I had Zoom calls and stuff, and I went straight back to the dog because I had a meeting in the or back to Dublin uh, because I had a meeting yesterday morning early and I wanted I want to be uh, up here for that and we just uh, dropped our bags in the room um, and came down to on the Nathan Carter concert grabbed a takeaway meal and uh, we, I did have a, a couple of bottles of, of beer put that up as a picture and then it took legs that I was inside the pub with people there was nobody else there um, I, I was in a rush because um, we, the place would have been closed and we wouldn't have been able to get a meal if we didn't rush down and the concert was on, on the phone listening to it and all of a sudden do you know Patricia I could have done this if I was at home we'd have done it by the fire and done the same thing because sometimes you know it's a, you know, a St. Patrick's thing you, you mm-hmm. know celebrate our day and the sad thing is you know if I'd done it by the fire they probably would have seen some turf inside it or some coal that I shouldn't have burned or something it's like somebody nitpicking waiting for uh, to pick on a, a, a little issue this is a very serious pandemic I certainly won't be in any pub in West Cork because they're not open or in Dublin I certainly don't know of any in Dublin that are but that, this is the simple thing that happened 
um, and people then decided I was in a pub celebrating on St. Patrick's Night. I wasn't. It was an hour and a half. Nathan Carter was on, and most of the time I was eating the little bit of food we ate, we got at that time. Because you were staying in, he was staying, yeah, because you were staying in, but when you're staying in a hotel, are you entitled to get a drink from the bar if you're a resident? In, uh, not uh, the bars that I know of, any okay. uh, you're not. But in, in Dublin, um, Boswell's no won't. Um, that's the nearest bar to the doll. Uh, you're entitled to get a meal. Um, uh, just uh, you know, get your your your, your lunch or whatever. Um, in that situation, we we just grab something quick because um, you know the time was uh, time was near for closure. So we just grab something quick and then uh, just had our own private bottle and uh, and and dropped into a glass, took a picture, and then people decided I was in a bar celebrating. But look, you know, it happens and these things happen. Unfortunately, should you know what? We shouldn't put up a picture at all, maybe, but. You know, I'd like to, to mark the day. The concert with uh, Nathan Carter was an hour and a half long. It was interesting. And, you know, it was his first concert since, since I suppose, lockdown. And, from, you know, 15 euro a ticket. And you tune in on the phone. It was very simplified, simple. But, you know, that's it, it got all hand in, you know, it got into the wrong hands and the wrong ideas. And, you know, it made me look as if I was out drinking in pubs. And I sure can't do that. Because they're not open anymore. Sure okay. And um, uh, there's a couple of people on saying, why was your partner with you in Dublin? entitled to travel too because she's a um, parliamentary assistant so she has uh, she's entitled to travel as well so um, we bought her at work yesterday uh, morning and um, that's the basic that's like we're both entitled to travel and we've, we've been held up on the roads and we explained that to guards there's no issue whatsoever because the laws are there and the rules are there and I have to play by them the same as everybody else and she's the Nathan Carter fan not you I, I I think I'm I'm, I'm coming on board. Um, you know I like music and in general and 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 Asher took, took an interesting concert. He really brought in you know St Patrick's Day into to live and and you know he has a lot of Scottish connections and Liverpool connections and Irish connections and he was well able to he's well able to perform a great guy a great performer. But there's an hour and a half of of, of what I call little enjoy, enjoyable music and unfortunately. And listen, there's a lot of there's a lot of acts trying to because their their industry has been decimated. I mean, they they were the first, as we keep talking about that entertainment industry. They were the first to go, and they'll be the last uh, to to reopen. And many of them are doing that. They're doing concerts online where you buy a ticket. It's a way for them to generate a bit of income as well. It's their only way. To be honest, with you, and I suppose they have severe costs. I, I don't know will will a lot of them survive. Uh, in the long run, I've heard some musicians uh, on on the radio, uh, Neil Cavanaugh and others, saying that they went away working in Little and Haldies and stuff like that. And that's, that's yeah. just, you know, that's the I, I mean, you'd, you'd honour them uh, to be able to just brush it down and not to be sitting down idly and come out fighting another way. But it's the reality, as you say, their 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 industry is decimated, and you know they depend on the likes of us buying that ticket the other night to listen to a, a an hour and a half concert, uh, which is which is nice. Whether that'll be in your in your bedroom or is it someplace where you just sit down and have something to eat at the same time? And uh, and and you know people do support them in fairness, and, and you know I, I'd like to support the industry, and and the government are trying to support the industry too. But it's a difficult time to be okay. honest. With you. But you weren't in a bar. We just want to <laughs> clarify. Uh, much as we'd all love to be in a bar on St Patrick's night, you weren't. All right, listen, uh, Michael, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And, and keep us informed about the intern jobs if anything breaks in the doll on that, uh, would you? Uh, just let us know. Listen, thanks for that and thanks uh, Thank for joining us. That is West Cork Doll Deputy Michael Collins. And before that, we had Dr. Cormac Duff, who's with the group Keep Our Doctors campaign. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your call. Sticks to WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie 
You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now we're once again on the programme returning to the issue of plans by Ompost to offer postal services like parcel pickup and collection locations to retail shops. Bridie Roycroft is postmistress in Ballydehob Post Office and she's fearful that this move could wipe out some of our post offices and Bridie Roycroft uh, joins me. Good morning to you Bridie. Good morning. Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Were you surprised to hear about Ompost offering this service to local convenience stores? Um, absolutely, Patricia. Um, surprised, uh, shocked. Um, just could not believe that Unpost um, had made this move because, as you know, the post office has been in trouble for back in 2018. You know, it, it came to everybody's notice that we weren't we weren't viable, we weren't making money. And that time, that time, Unpost, like they'd done a deal kind of with the government. They said, look, you know, we we'll, we we'll make the effort. We will put we will put so much so many years in, but then we need. We need help from the government. We need help from the government to keep the post offices open, this PSO, public service obligation, uh, to keep the post offices going. Um, now, of course, um, we were all hoping that the government would step in and give us you know, services like motor tax and stuff like that. And we waited and waited and nothing happened. And lo and behold, along came COVID. Now, when COVID came, um, it boosted it boosted the business in the post office. Unbelievable. It was like... It was like um, people, going back maybe 20 years where people started sending letters and little packets and everything else to each other. So our business got really busy. And as well as that, Brexit happened. And Brexit means, you know, you have to process every, even if you're just sending a little bunch of shamrock to England in an envelope, you have to process it. You have to type in sender, receiver. So it gave us all extra work. And with extra work, it's extra money, obviously. Um, no, but nowadays, a lot of people are posting their packets, you know, they're printing their labels at home and stuff like that. But that's no problem for us because every time we scan a parcel or anything, we get paid for it. Now, um, as most people, I'm sure, around the country know from from hearing it over the years, you know, we're paid according to the volume of work. We give a basic salary and we're paid according to the volume of work. Now, I'm still on the old, on the old, um, the old system. I didn't get the new contract some years back. So, um, my, my my situation is slightly different to other people. But that time, uh, the post office kind of got three years for to, um, you know, build up the business, get enough get enough work to keep them going. They were going to be on a basic salary and they're getting more for, you know, let's say processing packets and stuff like that. Um, now, when on post stepped in and offered this service, they've done it here in Goleen and out in the, out, out in the, the end, out by the mizzen head, uh, there's about two or three shops in Goleen, the post office and the shop beside it is a little, a little supermarket. And that's owned by um, um, a guy called Sh- um, Mr. Sheehan. And he got um, an offer from on post offering him everything except um, except social welfare. Uh, he was absolutely furious. Immediately he took it into the postmistress and he said, look, this is going to close you down, you know, if this is going to happen. Because it literally is giving your business away to another business owner. It's I mean, giving that's, our that's business what it is. away. And as you know, we've been very loyal. We're very loyal. We've worked we've worked our bones off for to keep our bus offices. We welcome all our people in. We're very we, we provide a service. And then they step in and they get offered her business to her next door neighbour. Now they came back on tour and they said it was a mistake. You know, a mistake. Now, how many more mistakes have they made? I mean, I know for a fact that in 
in big towns, like where there would be a post, you know, a good lot of shops, maybe the local supermarket has been offered a post point, which is the very same thing, really. Mm. You know, because on post is selling this as a good news story, but it certainly isn't a good news story if you're running running a local post office, Brady. No, and you see what will happen, Patricia. Is what will happen is that because if if my local shop here. I did, there's a, a local gala here in the village. Again, it's only there's only a few shops in the village, but the local gala it would be already picking up um, parcels for couriers and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I rang him up and I asked him had he been offered it, and he said no, he hasn't. And he said if I am offered it, his name is Ivan Camir, runs a fabulous supermarket, spinning station down at the end of town. And he said he said no, if I was offered it, I wouldn't take it. It would close you down, and you know it would destroy the village. But how many more people would have that? Would have principle? that? De- would have that decency about them? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, and I mean, on posting as well, you know, you know what they're saying. Like I've, they've said it there recently on the radio. I think actually I was listening to uh, one of the other stations, and what they were saying was, "Oh, we won't be offering these post fines, um, Department of Social Protection business." Now, Department of Social Protection business has, it's obviously not an obligation. The government didn't didn't. In, insist that people get their COVID payments or get their social welfare or get anything in the post offices up to people themselves. And nowadays people are busy and they're they're putting their, their time into into other things. So they want their money paid into their banks. So as the years are going by, the amount of money we're getting from social protection is getting more, you know, it's getting less and less. So this was going to, you know, the fact that, um, that the post packets and everything else had increased was going to improve our income. So we were all very happy with it, you know. And this was going to be the boost that we weren't getting from the government or from anybody else. Yeah, And yeah. then they, they pulled the rock from under under, under the... And if, you know, if somebody's out in their local convenience store, local supermarket doing their shopping and suddenly realise, oh, I need to post a letter or I need a stamp and suddenly you're at the checkout and realise, oh, I can buy it here. Like Absolutely. that's human nature. People will say it'll save me going down to the post office. You know, the people will do the easiest thing that's it's right in front of them. So it is it, like it, it really is unfair. And I know you're a chair of the southern region of the Irish Postmasters U- Union. Um, all your members, are they very worried, Bridie, about this? You know, like, of course they are. Of course they are. Like, you know, anything that will take our business away is worrying us. Like, and this is kind of done in... Um, you know, it's kind of done in an underhand way, you know. Now, okay, so it was a mistake in Goleen, like, you know, but how many more mistakes are they making? And if Mr. Sheen and Goleen decided he was going to um, accept it, you know, where would that leave Brida Buckley, the postmistress in Goleen, for the last 25 years or something like that, you know? Um, so, I mean, it's 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 like, instead of praises and saying thanks very much for all your business and your hard work over the years, it's, it's very undermining, you know? And they're also, yeah. I'm right in saying, there was absolutely zero consultation with postmasters about this. We heard nothing about yeah. it. Absolutely, as a union, we heard nothing about it. I mean, the, one of the first things I did, I was on to our, our, our uh, next representative, you know, above our, above our part of it, and yeah, there was no consultation with, 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 the, with the union. You know, Nate O'Hara was on the radio there during the week, and there was no consultation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim is saying that the Post Office Savings Bank would benefit if they if they were able to operate a current account option and have an ATM card. It would be a huge benefit to social welfare recipients. I mean, there's a lot more they could. There's a lot more they could be pushing your way, isn't there? Well, there is a current account. Um, is there? Do run a current account. But is they there an ATM? Is there an ATM? Is there an ATM card with it? It's, with the current account on Post Runs has a, has a, a complete. Um, Mastercard. Oh, does Mastercard. it? Okay, all right. And you can you can use it any way you like. 
anywhere you like the same as you can use everything else you can do your savings you can do your transfers you can do all your online banking on it and on plus does offer that as well okay and of course the bank of ireland move will be the bank of ireland decision uh, while not great news for people who are losing their actual bank of ireland branch that should have a spin-off to the post office. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, EIB, Ulster Bank, and um, our Bank, Free Bank of Ireland, ought to be absolutely brilliant. That is definitely an extra income to us as well. But look, it's like this, Patricia. In, unless you're throwing a parcel into the post office or something, or you know, you're not going to run in there, especially to do your banking. Yeah. You know, it, it, again, you go to the ATM if you want to. What we offer is a very basic service. We do a, a lodgement, a withdrawal of lodgement of cash and checks, a withdrawal a daily withdrawal up to 600 euros. That is with AIB now at the moment. And we'll be doing something similar to that with Bank of Ireland. So we will be offering a service. But um, it's a fairly basic service, you know. But, you, um, but it's, it's, the, it's the social service that you offer as well. Uh, Bridey people need their need. We need our local post offices so badly. And I'm always saying it, use it or lose it. People need to go into their post office to make sure that we will always have a local post office in our area. I'm very, very lucky here in Ballady Hub some years ago. I, I put it to the piece that if they wanted to keep the post um, office, I was offered redundancy and I had a great community. I remember there. as well. I remember they, it well. They, they're, they're a mighty they, bunch. They're a mighty bunch in Ballady Hub. They make the point of support you because they want a village. They, yeah. you know, they want a live village, a village where there's something happening, you know. But and you're a great uh, postmistress as well, so never never take away from that. People, oh, people, people realised what they had and wanted to hang on to you. Listen, stay safe, Bridie, and we'll talk again. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is the postmistress in Ballydehob, uh, Bridie Roy. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A follow-up to yesterday, we had a call. Actually, the call came in to Ken on the breakfast show. A lot of people were very frustrated who were living in the Mallow area, driving to the Mallow area yesterday morning. People were stuck in traffic and people were getting tad annoyed about it. And uh, one listener in particular contacted Ken on the breakfast show to see if we on this programme could look into the sequence of lights between the spa and the bridge with a lot of people saying that they're out of sequence and that they need to do something about it and that's what's holding up the traffic. So we got on to Cork County Council to say can you take a look at the sequencing of the lights at the bridge and down around with the spa and just check out the sequencing of the lights. Well Cork County Council got back to us to say they are getting on to their traffic lights contractor and they're currently investigating the matter to see if it is a case that the lights are out of sequence because many people stuck in traffic reckon that is the problem. It is that they're out of sequence. I also think part of the problem, not all of the problem, part of the problem has to do with people going into the yellow box. You don't go into the yellow box unless your exit is clear, please. And that's blocking up traffic and that is frustrating so many people. Now, in the last hour, I mentioned about the fact that Washington have confirmed that they are sending four million vaccines to Canada and to Mexico under a loan agreement. They're giving Mexico on loan two and a half million vaccines and they're giving Canada one and a half million vaccines. And of course, the big question is when our Taoiseach Micheál Martin was speaking with Joe Biden on St. Patrick's Day on Wednesday, did he ask, was it possible that America could lend us some of their vaccines? And the reason that people were suggesting that Micheál Martin might ask Joe Biden is that we know for a fact that America has 7 million AstraZeneca doses stockpiled They have them in fridges somewhere in the States. And the reason that they have them is they put an order in for AstraZeneca, but their medicines board hasn't approved AstraZeneca for use yet. Their order came through. They took the order saying, oh, well, eventually we'll get the go ahead to be able to administer it. So we'll take 
in the vaccines and we'll put them in the fridges or the freezers, wherever way AstraZeneca has to be stored and we'll leave them there until we're ready to administer them. So they've stockpiled and they have 7 million doses. And a lot of people were saying Ireland should look to America and say, would you lend us some of those, please? And it came back or what seems to have come back was that Miho Martin was suggesting that Joe Biden was saying, look, every single dose that we have, we need for our own people. So we took it from that, that they weren't going to be lending any of their vaccines out to any other country. And then lo and behold, comes the news that Washington have confirmed they are giving out some of their vaccines on loan to Canada and to Mexico. And somebody's saying, how do you loan a vaccine? But before I get to trying to explain how you loan a vaccine, somebody has suggested Sean has come on and I think he's made a very, very valid point as to why Joe Biden and Washington would look after Canada and Mexico when it comes to a loan agreement on their vaccine. They share a border with both Mexico and Canada. And Sean says what America are doing is they're looking after their own country by protecting their own borders. Sean said it's a little bit like the politicians in the north who are very conscious of what's happening in the Republic of Ireland in that we're not vaccinating at the same speed that they're vaccinating in Northern Ireland and they're also suggesting that we need to catch up because we need to all be protected together. So, how do you loan a vaccine? Okay, uh, bearing in mind that I've explained America have this 7 million in cold storage. If you look at Ireland, we have ordered enough vaccines to vaccinate 10.3 million people. Our total orders placed is 18.5 million doses. Now, obviously, we're not going to need 18.5 million doses. So there will come a time where we will have everyone who needs to be vaccinated, everyone that wants to be vaccinated. We'll have everybody vaccinated in this country. And then there will be orders coming on stream that we've that we have already ordered. There'll be vaccines getting ready. One of the whatever company we've ordered them from will say okay are you ready we've another half a million vaccines for you we will then be in a position to say we don't need those vaccines but we borrowed say a million vaccines from America so can you send our order instead of sending it to Ireland can you ship it straight to America instead and so that's how you loan vaccines and that has been going on in other uh, countries as well countries that are getting vaccines that are not ready to distribute them will say rather than give us our order this month pass them on to somebody else even though there's a number of we discussed it yesterday with uh, Billy Kelleher we are very good at administering the vaccines in this country 95% of our vaccines that have come onto our shores have been distributed, obviously, except the 50,000 this week of the AstraZeneca, but that was outside of our control. But we're getting them, we're getting them administered as quickly as we get them in. The same can't be said across the rest of the European countries. A lot of the European countries have only distributed 60% of the vaccines that they have in and they're keeping some of them in cold storage and that's frustrating. That's why Billy Kelleher was suggesting that countries that are better and more efficient at giving the vaccines from an EU point of view should be prioritised and that's something uh, that he is working uh, on. And just on uh, vaccinations, Paul Reid was talking about this uh, yesterday and obviously they said the vaccination programme this week was impacted by what happened with AstraZeneca, but also by reduced deliveries from AstraZeneca. And there's also been a couple of reduced deliveries from Moderna. But he had some good news yesterday in that he says he expects the Moderna shortage is going to be made up by the end of this month. We are expecting three more deliveries from AstraZeneca, also expected before the close of uh, March. 
we still have to get the confirmed exactly how much. But then, of course, the newly approved Johnson & Johnson vaccination, they will start beginning deliveries next month. And the bulk of the initial order and the, our initial order in Ireland for Johnson & Johnson is 600,000. And they're expected to start arriving in May and in June. Again, we're waiting on dates, but there's a big, big order in for uh, Johnson & Johnson. And the HSE's vaccine official, a guy by the name of David Walsh, he says that the mass vaccination centres, they will open for vulnerable groups before they open up for the general public. Now, we know some of those vaccination centres are already up and running, including the one here in Cork at the Munster Technology University, the, the former, formerly known as the CIT site in Cork. That's been operating for older people under uh, Dr. Mike Thomas and, uh, Thompson from East Cork. They've been successfully running for the last couple of Saturdays. I'm assuming they're probably going again tomorrow and the Kerry Sports Academy has been doing something similar there's 38 vaccination centres will eventually be used all over the country I mean we've extra ones here in Cork the one the Cork City Hall one and Porky Cueve they're set to open actually on the 22nd of March now that is dependent on vaccination uh, supply and we already have more than 10,000 people have completed their vaccinator training so they are all uh, ready to go and Paul Reid is still saying their plan is to vaccinate 240,000 people over the age of 70. They are still hopeful that they will do that by the end of the month and they're vaccinating the over 70s using the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines but he reckons that the 240,000 over the age of 70 will all be done by the end of March so that's certainly, fingers crossed that that all uh, goes uh, the way it should be. But if we could get a loan from America of a million doses uh, that they're stockpiling, wouldn't that make a huge, huge difference? And a West Cork listener says, listening to the news, the funding allocation just mentioned in the news uh, there, how many vaccines can Ireland buy with those millions of uh, euro? But it isn't, the the buying of the vaccines has nothing to do unfortunately with money it's to do with supply at the moment and the listener is talking about the it's 405 million euro it's for urban regeneration and it was announced this morning by the Taoiseach uh, here in Cork 353 million for the Cork Docklands 46 million for the Grand Parade Quarter 4.7 million for the Mallow Town Centre Regeneration 817,000 for Passage West Ringeskiddy Carrigaline Harbour Cluster so a lot of people in all of those areas when it comes to urban regeneration that will be very very welcomed news indeed 1850 333 103 couple of people are on about the number of people are on actually about the 5k let me give you some of people's thoughts saying what's all this noise about the five kilometre limit when there's plane loads of people flying in here every day and not a word said about it that's from Pat and someone else is making the same point Caitlin in Skull says why do we have a five kilometre limit when so many people are travelling into Dublin airport so many Irish people are obeying all of the rules, yet so many people are flying in and out of this country for non-essential travel. As long as that continues to go on, we'll never sort out the mess we are in. Okay, and I tried to get the latest figures on Dublin Airport. The last official count I can get was the last week in February, from the 22nd to the 28th of February, and there was 11,607 people entered Ireland through our main 
main airport in uh, Dublin. So that was just over 11,500 people. And that's a lot of people. But we can't say that there's plane loads of people coming in. Still too many people, I think, for most. But when you compare that to the previous year, it was 96% down on the same week from the year before. So it's like there's a huge drop on the number of people who are travelling in and out of our country. But a lot of people will say that 11,500 people or 11,500 too many that shouldn't be flying in in and out of this country, particularly when we still don't have the quarantine hotels. I have a piece on the quarantine hotels. We'll try and get to that uh, later. We still don't have the quarantine hotels up and running. Someone else reckons that lockdowns are simply not working. What are the point of lockdowns? They have never worked. Why are we continuing to do lockdowns? It's getting worse. Well, we can't say that lockdowns don't work. They do. We might like lockdowns. But when you look at the number of cases that we had after it all went wrong at Christmas and we were into January and we were into 6,000 and 7,000 daily cases of COVID-19, I mean, they were absolutely the shocking the figures that we had. So while we're still at over, what did I get the figure for yesterday? Over five hundred yesterday. They've only come down because of lockdowns. We mightn't lo- we mightn't like lockdowns, but they do they do work. It's the one way we do stop uh, COVID nineteen. But the decline in the figures at the moment is slowing down. Paul Reed yesterday was saying there's been a significant easing of pressure on hospitals. Obviously, that's all terrific news. But the daily case numbers are not dropping as quickly as they were in February and he's blaming it on extra mobility and an increase in household contacts uh, for that and he reckons that's the reason and I think it could be. It's got, it's, it's got a lot to do with and something to do with people are just getting fed up of the lockdown fed up of the five kilometre rule and I certainly can see it on the texts that are coming into me here every day. John Paul will tell you he's hearing it on the phones from people. People are just getting sick of it and somebody else is making the point this country has been held to ransom at the moment by students and house parties sweet lord level five I don't think so and that frustrates people when they think they're doing everything right and yet they're seeing numbers are sort of almost stagnating. We're almost kind of stuck on the same number we've only a couple of days where I think we got it down to the 300s and then it was back up into the 500s again and then that worrying news that we heard yesterday from Philip Nolan that the R number which is how many other people one case will infect that has gone up it's at zero, between 0.8 and 1.1 so that's um, a big big worry and John in Mitchellstown is raising a point that I would be concerned about he said so many young people that he knows including his own two sons are saying once COVID and vaccines are sorted out and we get a handle on this uh, pandemic they're planning to move to another country outside of Europe John says listening to his own sons and their friends talk they're seeing how leadership has steered so many other countries in the right direction when it comes to COVID whereas Europe cannot get vaccines correct and are continuing with lockdowns. John says if this if these were private companies i.e. the European countries they'd be sacked they've messed up nobody took responsibility the people are suffering as a result of this John in Mitchestown is fearful that once this is all sorted we will lose so many of our young people 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs 
Blarney District CE project. They're looking for a caretaker, stroke groundskeeper, stroke environmental worker for a CE scheme. No experience is needed. Oliver Casey Har, they're looking for a fisher mechanic. It's for diesel and petrol engines. While Country Clean, they're looking for a truck driver. And Fleming and Barrett solicitors, they're based in Bandham. They're looking for a full-time receptionist slash legal secretary. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Sadly, eating disorder cases have skyrocketed since the start of last year with one expert labelling the pandemic the perfect storm. New figures from the National Clinical Programme for Eating Disorders shows a 66% increase in referrals during 2020 with one in four deemed urgent. Joining me from Bodywise, the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland, is Barry Murphy, their communications officer. Good morning to you, Barry. Good morning. Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. What is it about the pandemic that has caused this significant rise in eating disorders? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been an incredibly tough 12 months for people with eating disorders. I think as you touched on it earlier, that idea of a perfect storm and I can't remember who said it, but someone talked about the idea of we're all being in the same storm, but not necessarily in the same boat. And I think that's very true for people affected by eating disorders. And what people have said to us have really there have been kind of four main things. So overall, the, the, the intensification of an experience of an eating disorder, that has certainly increased during the pandemic. And then there were a lot of communication kind of type stressors as well. So being at home a lot more, living with family, kind of having to explain the eating disorder if they didn't understand it. And then there were also people who were very much at risk of relapse or their recovery was in jeopardy. And then I think for everyone, really big piece as well, the environment became so different, really. That's been one of the main challenges as well, where... You know, we, initially we were all in lockdown one in the two kilometre situation. And, you know, we just didn't have kind of the, the touchstones, the coping tools available to us. And, you know, there was all the stuff about the, the quarantine 15 and the social media chatter and the exercise channels and public discourse. So those are some some things people have said to us over the past 12 months have been particularly difficult to deal with. And you talk to me about eating disorders, Barry. Do they affect more young people than older people? Our experience then is you get kind of the full demographic right. That's sometimes from, say, the preteen up to people well into, say, their, their 30s and their 50s and beyond. So, you know, it's it's often the, the age of onset is in the teen years. So that, that can be when it, it starts for some people. But that's not to say... Um, you know, there are no there are no adults. Certainly, adults sometimes feel a little bit left out of the conversation around eating disorders. And I know, say for example, in 2019, uh, one in three people who contacted our email service were over the age of 25. So it's the full spectrum of age brackets and also gender as well. Yeah, because I think there was a there was a perception at one time, Barry, that when you spoke about eating disorders, particularly things like anorexia and bulimia, we had a tendency to think, oh, so that's something that just affects teenage girls. Yeah, that's kind of a a trope, I suppose you could say, in the area that's been around for a very long time and still 
unfortunately has a bit of attractions but when you when you hear it but then you actually get into the area and work in the area you, you see it's not just that at all that, that it's a much broader range of people and you mentioned gender it does affect I know it predominantly affects more females but it does affect males as well yeah I mean historically the the old figure for men in eating disorders was kind of 1 in 10 and we know that's not really reliable anymore and you know it, it might be 1 in 10 for anorexia but it could be 1 in 3 for bulimia nerve wow. and about 50-50 for binge eating disorder and I think also we have to give you know, a shout out to dads as well. Um, they are a group who are kind of a little bit underrepresented and their their needs for support uh, need to be highlighted too. So in our family program, we would say uh, there's always a good uh, representation of dads who come for support too. And are you, particularly during last year, are you seeing both an increase in new illnesses as well as relapse? Yeah, very much so. It's people who maybe they would have taken on some of the kind of the messaging around lockdown and then it just kind of got a bit out of hand and ultimately became an eating disorder and then other people who've had a pre-existing issue and it just really has intensified that or people who were doing quite well and unfortunately then things have started to slip backwards for them. Okay, listener wants to know, does social media have to play a role? Everybody wants to have the perfect body and they're the only photographs you see go up on social media. Does that play a role in eating disorders? It's very hard to kind of distill it down into one sentence, I would say. I mean, it's a, it's quite a mixed picture in a sense. Look, I think we know the devices in our pockets, they're not designed to be checked once a day. They're designed to be, you know, used several times a day and there are 350 million photos added to Facebook every single day. That's about 4,000 photos a second. I think the negative side of social media is it heightens the sense of comparison. So whereas before, 20, 30 years ago, maybe that, that comparison would have been done just inside the school gate and that kind of wouldn't be this or in, in your friendship circle. Now it's on a 24-hour, 7 basis and you know, it's a very, in terms of the evidence, we're not there yet in saying there's a causal link. So it's very hard to prove cause and effect with this kind of research and social media. And actually, during lockdown, it has been something that people have said has been quite useful, uh, not just in terms of keeping in touch with peers, friends, or family, but actually other people within the eating disorder community as well. That's been a benefit of social media during the lockdown. Those stats that I mentioned in my introduction from the National Clinical Programme for uh, Eating Disorders, you know, the 66, the 66% increase in referrals across 2020 with one in four deemed urgent. We, we have a problem, don't we, in this country that the HSE, we don't have enough specialist eating disorder teams. Yeah, so that's the, the National Clinical Programme then, which was launched in January 2018. And... The objective of the program as a, as a road map or a blueprint really is to create uh, eight teams for children and adolescents and then also eight teams for adults. And the historic background to eating disorder services in Ireland is there has been a deficit of services. So the clinical program is designed to address that. And 
whilst in recent years there were issues around funding, uh, Minister Mary Butler has committed to the provision of funding for 2021. So there are three teams at the moment. Um, the objective for 2021 is to again add a, a three additional teams in some of the CHO areas, the community health organisation areas, both for children and adolescents and also for adults. So the idea of the model of care is partly based on a step model of care. So GP would be your primary level, then you'd have an outpatient. And then eventually, if, if someone is very sick, they may need the outpatient service. So that's kind of a little snapshot of the, the model of care. Yeah, because I remember back in 2018, you know, there was much fanfare about those 16 specialist treatment hubs that were going to be opened. I mean, looking at the figures for last year, for 2020, we need those hubs now more than ever. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the pandemic has really pulled the issue of eating disorders into very sharp focus in terms of just people being very unwell and very sick and needing that that specialised service because we know kind of anecdotally when they go to a more general service where the staff don't have the knowledge that they don't do as well. So it's, it's better for patients and for families that when they go to a service that the staff have the specialised skills and knowledge and training. And would I be right in saying that there's a danger with the, with isolation that we're creating a hidden epidemic of cases? You know, some of these can be going unnoticed. Yeah, unfortunately that's always been part and parcel of an eating disorder is the, the isolation piece. And what's interesting as well, we're we're very much learning in recent years that people experience social difficulties before they have the illness as well, and but during it too. And there was a recent study as well that showed how people with eating disorders, they don't use their body language in quite the same way. They don't use hand gestures as much. They don't lean in to listen to conversations and social communication. This would be pre-pandemic, obviously. So coupled with all of that then, and the kind of negativity and the shame and the guilt that comes up in an eating disorder and the social withdrawal and the loneliness, you know, it is, it is again, kind of that just uh, perfect storm idea of the combination of those risk, risk factors that ultimately can maintain an eating disorder, unfortunately. And talk to me about the services and what you provide at BodyWise, Barry, and how people can contact BodyWise. Yeah, absolutely. So people can contact the helpline on zero one two one zero seven nine zero six, or they can contact Alex at bodywise.ie. And then they're also welcome to access two of our online support groups, so Bodywise Connect for adults and Youth Connect for thirteen to eighteen year olds. And then for families, the, there is the pillar program. So over six hundred and over six hundred people access that through. 2020 and that was partly because we brought it online during the pandemic so people can register a free place if they're a parent or their sibling or they're an aunt or an uncle and that's the pillar programme. Yeah because people can reach out to BodyWise if they're worried about a family member. Yeah so there's it's very clear that you know not only does the person with an illness need support but so does the parent or the carer as well and you know you don't you don't have to be an eating disorder expert to help someone in your family, but you are an expert on 
them as a son or a daughter. And so the pillar program is just giving that structure and some of the coping tools in order that the parent can then cope better in, in their in their own lives. And what happens is often the role of a parent changes when an eating disorder becomes part of the family's life and they become more of a carer and a parent. So that's why they need their own kind of support structure and, and something just to put their back up against to, to learn about eating disorders. Yeah, because somebody says, how would you know if somebody had an eating disorder? Yeah, it's a really tricky one. I mean, there are very significant uh, medical and health consequences, you know, damage to a person's tar- heart, uh, damage to a person's teeth, uh, risk of osteoporosis, those kind of things. And what I would say is you will see some sort of deterioration in the person and that's it's important to differentiate that from picky eating. We're talking about something that affects someone far beyond uh, their time in the kitchen or that kind of thing. So you may see kind of person over-exercising. You may see uh, trips to the bathroom that seem quite unusual. You may, you may see quite significant weight loss that would be, say, for in anorexia, for example, kind of a person doesn't seem concerned if you raise the weight loss, they kind of brush it off and they're a little bit uh, dismissive and there's just so much upheaval you know, across the person's physical, emotional and mental health when they have an eating disorder and that's why it's important that they get help and support and treatment. Yeah, and, and I think from for a parent or, or a partner is follow your gut. If your gut is telling you there's something going on, you know, follow your gut instinct. Yeah, I think we have to kind of take our hat off to parents in the sense that they're they're pretty good at knowing red flags in, in their sons and daughters and it's important not to kind of not to let those slip and just what are those alarm bells and why are they going off mm. and pay attention a little bit and then just kind of do that research on the issue and then trying trying to have a conversation that's not about the behaviours as such but how concerned you are and what you've noticed. It's a difficult conversation, Barry. Definitely. And I think starting out, it's important to manage your own expectations. You know, I would not have particularly high expectations in the first conversation. And it could be multiple conversations before there's any real progress because this hasn't developed overnight, so it's not going to stop overnight. But full recovery is possible to end on a high note. Yes, and it's it's again it's very subjective to the person. People have various descriptions, whether it's in recovery, recovered, recovering. So it's not just about the shift in the food or weight side of things, but it's how the person sees themselves as well, and that's a really important part of recovery. Okay, well done. Okay, body wise zero one two one zero seven nine zero six. That's the helpline. And Alex at Bodywise and Bodywise is B O D Y Y H Y S. That's the wise dot I E. Barry, listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning.
Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Barry Murphy, Communications Officer with uh, BodyWise, which is the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Due to COVID restrictions, the University of Limerick's 2021 Jacintha O'Brien Memorial Event will be run online this year with virtual events to discuss the 999 for a frontline fundraiser. I'm joined by Caitlin Heffernan who is from a student from Cuddlebrain and she's a second year student of sports and exercise sciences at UL. And Caitlin joins me. Good morning to you, Caitlin. How are you, Patricia? Are you well? I'm very well, uh, thank you. Now this annual event is in memory of Jacinta O'Brien. Tell me a little bit about Jacinta O'Brien. She was a lecturer at UL. She was. So the whole idea of the 2021 Jacinta O'Brien Memorial event is just to celebrate and try and commemorate one of UL's most cherished and loved members of staff in the Department of Physical Education and Sports Sciences. But um, Jacinta sadly passed away in 2004 due to sudden death adult syndrome. So I suppose it's the 17th anniversary of her passing. So it's kind of different this year, I suppose, with the virtually. Um, it's a big challenge, I suppose, for us as students and as lecturers to try and adapt. But um, we've organised two events. Okay. Uh, 999 and we have also organised a student event but we, that we've undertaken this week but next week is our main aim to try and spread the word because it's in support of three charities the Irish Cancer Society the Limerick Suicide Watch and the Matter Foundation OK tell me first of all what the students did uh, so the students had a challenge to do so we, in two minutes we had to do uh, as much crunches as we could do and press up and we had to do a snappy 5k run. I can tell you one thing, it definitely wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how many crunches and burpees did you do? Uh, I definitely, I, I suppose I wouldn't be in the greatest department now. I say I definitely did about 20, I'd say. But sure, we got there in the end. I can tell you I had a big red face at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and followed by the 5k run. That's <laughs> exhausting at the end of it. Uh, well done. And then the public event, the public challenge. This is the 999 for Frontline. For, for Frontline. Explain this. So that takes place so next week. So the 22nd to the 26th of March. I suppose uh, for this challenge, what we're kind of doing is, so we're aiming to run nine kilometres, run, walk or cycle in, out, in and about over the week. And we would also like everyone to at least give a donation of nine euro or anything at all to our GoFundMe. And then we would like you also to nominate nine people of your choice to take part in events or even just throw it up on your social media and try and just advertise as much as possible. I suppose our main aim is to try and get as much money for our charities as possible, especially during these times. It's very hard, but like we've overpassed our goal so far. I suppose we only had a goal of 999 euro and we've already gone up to two and a half grand so well it's amazing the amount of support that we've gotten I suppose in the short amount of time that we've like put things together you know it's massive and do do you change the charities every year is that the way it works or is it the same charities uh, no the charities change every year right. so at the start of the year we kind of like we all as a group kind of decided you know what or what charities are closest to our hearts and we suppose especially during Covid we would definitely try and push, you know, a charity for the the frontline workers. So the Maher Foundation is one of our nine nine for our frontline workers, and then we have the Irish Cancer Society, which we all know, which is a massive charity, and um, especially during these times, and the Limerick Suicide Watch, which is 
also very great charity great charity and the Irish Cancer Society in particular um, every time I see a daffodil I think of the Irish Cancer Society normally at this time of the year we'd be all talk about their daffodil day and that's their biggest fundraiser every year and they I mean they missed out on it last year and they're missing out on it again this year so I think more than ever the Irish Cancer Society need our support this year 100% yeah especially even just you know even just people outside shops who'd miss it nowadays and I suppose it's all GoFundMe pages now and everything and everyone trying to raise as much money as possible but even look the smallest donation we can make a massive difference even for every one of those charities it's just it's even just a gratitude to be able to be given the chance to even raise as much money as we can from Okay and you're are you studying from home this year? I am yeah currently at home as well online full semester of online again so it's not too bad, I suppose. You kind of get used to it. But um, it's definitely hard, definitely trying to a struggle trying to organise, you know, something kind of such a large scale as the Descent Memorial event. But sure, we've made a good stab at it now, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, we, had, we had a couple of guest speakers in to us for college, you know, like um, Vince out West presenters, everything trying to help us out. Like, so we're really grateful. Well done, well, well done. But but it's, it's, I mean, you've done this entire year at home, have you so far? Definitely, yeah, from September now to here, so it's a big change, I suppose, supposed to be living down in Limerick, but um, now in Kilbride, so it, it's not too bad, I suppose I get a bit more more work done at home and, than and maybe sometimes in college. Like. And good to be at home with somebody looking after you. Oh, that's the whole thing, and my dinner on top of the table. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing. Um, oh, all right, the other so... thing, actually, I want to say was about the, the prizes, actually, so every... Five euro that's been donated into GoFundMe, you're automatically thrown into a raffle. So we've actually some great prizes, just like a Google Home Entertainment package. We've um, vouchers and even like a revived wellness um, recovery session from Nina or just even a, an O'Brien Ferry company trip with Doolin. You know, so we've actually loads of prizes. So just no, that's good. That's, that's an added incentive. So how can people, where is the GoFundMe? The GoFundMe pages on all of our social media pages, on our TikTok, our Facebook, our Instagram, everything, it's all on there. And it's just a link you click on and it'll direct you straight onto their GoFundMe. Great. Or you can just look up our hashtag 999 for the front line. Okay, and if anybody's doing the challenge, don't forget to put it up on your social media with that hashtag 999 for the front line. Listen, good luck with it, Caitlin. And uh, continue good luck with your studies. Is it PE teaching or where is your long-term goal? My long-term girl. Well, I'm thinking about physiotherapy in the long-term goal, but we'll see after um, sports and exercise science what direction I'll head. Okay. All right. Well, we wish you luck with it and good luck with the studies and this fundraiser. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Perfect. Thanks, Minister. Good morning, Tia. Bye bye. Bye bye. Caitlin Heffernan, uh, their second year student at UL. As she says, studying at home from uh, Kilbrin this year. If people want to help out, please check them out on their social media. But don't forget the hashtag 999 for the front line. It's fantastic the way people are doing so much fundraising and it all has had to go online. But it is, it's working successfully for many, many uh, groups. And I think the Irish Cancer Society, because we, we really, they, they need our help, I think, more than ever uh, this year. Because yet again, as I say, they are missing out on Daffodil Day. On the final 5K. Patricia drives me crazy listening to people saying they can't go outside of their five kilometres. Well, I got COVID on the 7th of February. I'm an asthmatic. I got over the COVID, but I'm still not over the asthma. It nearly killed me. I'm still on steroids every day. This is
is now my sixth week. I've gained a lot of weight from the steroids and I can't walk one kilometre yet with the tiredness from the virus. So 5k to me is well beyond my limit. Please stop complaining and just hope you don't get COVID-19 and that's just signed a Cork uh, lady. Can we wish you good health? Yeah, it's really tough on people who are battling because of COVID-19 to hear others complaining because they can't go outside their COVID. I can understand your frustration. We wish you good health. 1850 We're going to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. We'll have some suggestions for movies in the next hour and we also have a report from Fiona, our senior news reporter, who went along to the Reclaim the Streets protest. You know, this protest that was held in a number of, it's been held all over the country, but there was one held in Cork City yesterday. We'll have a report from that and we'll catch up with your calls and comments all coming after news at 12. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Saturdays on C103.ie we bring you the excitement of the Premier League powered by Talk Sport. Now our Premier League live show with Trevor Welch is back on Saturday, April the 3rd with pre-match analysis. There'll be live coverage commentary, there's exclusive interviews and of course there's post-match breakups. That's the Premier League live online with Now Stream Live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Now Sports Extra membership. You can listen Saturdays on the C103 app or go to c103.ie and staying on a sporting theme this Sunday night the Celtic Ross Hotel West Cork Sports Star Awards takes place and obviously for the year that's in it it's going to be a virtual event online now you can watch all of the C103 socials for your link to view this year's awards the West Cork Sports Star Awards that recognises the sporting talent right across the West Cork region and our own John Paul John Paul McNamara will be featuring as part of the programme as will our GAA presenter Paddy Palmer along with Con Dowling from the Southern Star and many others but it's going to be a fantastic night but you can actually view it online normally it's a, it's a kind of a gala event and the people who are going to be picking up awards go along and, and uh, their families but because it's a virtual event you've got an opportunity to watch it online so keep a look out check it out on our social medias across the weekend and uh, your chance to take part the awards are run with the Celtic Ross Hotel C103 and the Southern Star and good luck to everybody involved in that on uh, Sunday night. Now, some of your comments in, there was a great WhatsApp that came in from a resident in West Cork saying, Hi Patricia, would you please let the person know who's dumping cider cans in a Reiner's screener that they can recycle them. You can go to Ross, you can recycle them in Lep, you can go to Kilmeen Creamery and you could go to Lizavard. and by the way, the recycling of the cans is free. Thanking you. And that comes in from a resident. Thank you for that. Please stop dumping your rubbish, particularly rubbish and cans that can actually be uh, recycled. Other thoughts coming in. A listener wants to know, hi Patricia, are all nursing homes open on Monday next? Now, next Monday is the 22nd of March. 
and there's the lifting of restrictions on people in nursing homes when it comes to visitors because the idea is that it's kind of a bonus for having had the vaccine and there's changes to how people can visit loved ones in an, a nursing home and residents will be facilitated to receive two visits per week on general compassionate grounds. This will be possible following two weeks after full vaccination of approximately eight out of ten of all residents and healthcare workers workers in the nursing home. There's no requirement to limit visits to less than one hour. And of course, this is an increase from the current uh, guidance where one visit per resident is facilitated every two weeks. But the Minister, and that was all announced by Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, along with advice coming in from Neffet. But we can't say that every single nursing home is is open from next Monday the, 20, the, the 22nd because it is going to differ from nursing home to nursing home. I mean the very fact that 8 out of 10 of all residents and healthcare workers in the nursing homes must be fully vaccinated and fully vaccinated means they must be two weeks after their second uh, vaccination. So that's not the case in every single nursing home. There are still some nursing homes that are not fully vaccinated because of the time of vaccination there might have been an outbreak of uh, COVID uh, for example. There are also obviously some nursing homes where some residents and healthcare workers opted not to get the vaccine so they won't have 8 out of 10 uh, residents all vaccinated either. So what we're saying to everyone when it comes to the nursing homes you need to check in with your individual nursing home wherever your loved one is a resident check with them to see how they are managing the new visiting restrictions but yes they do start the new ones that were announced a couple of weeks ago and they were given a few weeks in order that the nursing homes could put the arrangements and the planning in place for the implementation of the new guidance but yes the new guidelines come into effect from next Monday the 22nd of March so just literally give your nursing home a call and I'm assuming they're going to book in time slots for people they can't just let the front door open and let everybody in as they would have done before the uh, pandemic so just check it out with your local nursing home now here's a lengthy text in from a listener to say the decision by the European Medicines Agency to lift the temporary withdrawal of the AstraZeneca has done nothing to change my mind i.e. refusing the particular vaccine I still fear that the decision may be influenced by economic reasons rather than health reasons. The cost of destroying the huge stock of unused vaccines would have been a huge blow to that company and also create havoc in the vaccine rollout here. Their logic seems to be that if only a few people die from a blood clot, the bigger picture is that the majority will benefit from immunity to COVID. I can see their point, but even they concede that there may be a very, very small risk of clots. This is enough to reinforce my decision to decline the jab if AstraZeneca is the only one available when my time comes. I am prepared to take my chances even though it will probably mean going to the bottom of the queue and possibly waiting at least another year for my vaccination. I am by the way in my 70th year and I do have a long term uh, illness and you are within your rights. If you get offered an AstraZeneca vaccine and you decide no it's not for you, we're not forcing vaccines on uh, anyone but all I would say to you is every single piece of medicine that you take, every tablet that you take, every time you're in hospital being administered uh, some kind of a medicine, all of them come with some kind of risks. I mean, I think a really good point was made earlier by one of our listeners. If you even take out a packet of paracetamol that you might have in your cupboard and read down through the list of side side effects and read down particularly through the list of very rare side effects, you probably will see clotting on all 
on nearly every single piece of medicine that you have in your in your house. So, you know, when the European Medicines Agency came out, they did accept, but it's a very, very tiny percentage. I mean, if you look at, I was looking at the numbers, there are 20 million people across the United Kingdom and across the EU have received the AstraZeneca vaccine. That was up to the 16th of March. And out of the 20 million people, there has been seven cases of blood clots uh, reporters that is that is minuscule that really really is tiny I don't know what the percentage if you look at some of the medicine in your cupboard what's the percentage of blood clots but you have to keep that in mind as well but you are well within your rights we're not forcing it's never going to be mandatory vaccines but the benefits of the AstraZeneca jab certainly outweigh the risk of the side effects in the battle of COVID-19 because what you also have to because as you've said in your text you do have a long term illness so you have to weigh up your chances of getting COVID-19 remember you have a much higher chance of getting a clot from COVID-19 than you have of getting a a clot from an AstraZeneca jab and somebody's saying to me Patricia would you take the AstraZeneca jab I would I would roll up my sleeve here and now for you and I would take that jab and would I give it to Marsha? Absolutely I would because I think, I really do think that the benefits of all of the vaccines far outweigh the side effects and it is, it's minis- it's minuscule out of 20 million doses given. There's a, they've only reported uh, seven uh, cases but thank you uh, for your text and you're not on your own. There will be a number of people. It was the one thing when my heart sank when this came out about the AstraZeneca and particularly when we put a pause on it. But then I thought about it and said, no, we need to do everything. We need to keep everything above board because we need to make sure that people have confidence in the vaccine. So as soon as any, even the smallest possible problem with it, if we put a pause on something just so that the experts can have a bit of breathing space, look at it again, that is the right and the correct thing to do because the last thing you want is for something to come out afterwards and for the powers that be to say, oh, we knew, but we we didn't do anything about it. So I think they're doing everything correctly in making sure that they can make these vaccines as safe as possible. And remember, the vaccines are working. Look at any of the countries that have got a high number of vaccinations already and look at the fall in COVID-19 cases. And we are saving lives and we've saved lives in this country by administering the various vaccines and that includes um, AstraZeneca as well. But you don't know, you say you're in your 70th year, so you're coming up to your 70th birthday, it is very possible when you go along to get your vaccine that you might have a choice or you might not be offered the AstraZeneca. You could be offered a, a different one instead. And then Michael by text says, Patricia, the latest scandal from the government and the NHS has got to be the £25 million in hiring City West in Dublin for the past 12 months and it was hardly ever used. No one is responsible for the shameful waste of money and they're still leasing the building. And yet... We don't have anyone, any hotel for people quarantined that are flying into this country. We seem to be leaderless at at the moment. Actually, when uh, the quarantine hotels that you write, we we still don't have. And according to today's papers, mandatory, mandatory quarantining will not begin until at least next week now, is what we're told, as a contract has yet to be signed for a hotel provider. Now, the legislation has been in place for hotel quarantine. It was brought in about a month ago, but the system is yet to get up and running. It is hoped that a contract with the company will be signed before the weekend, but then a booking system has to be set up for a few days in advance 
advance to allow people entering the country from the specific destinations to check in. So even when they sign the contract, it's going to be about another week before the hotel quarantine is up and running. And when I was reading about that this morning, it struck me saying, well, why don't they use City West? Because, yes, you're dead right. They did... They did book out City West. It's nearly a year ago now, uh, 11 months ago. Now, bearing in mind that when they signed up, it was done under a procurement process and all of that, and it, it was rushed through. But it was ru- rushed through at the time because of the nature of the pandemic that we were dealing with, and nobody knew what was coming down the tracks. And they blocked booked the City West complex. 1,056 uh, rooms was what they booked out because they thought that they were going to need this huge number of self-isolation slots that people who wouldn't be able to self-isolate, they were going to need beds for them. So they said, look, we need to get a number of rooms and have them ready. So they booked out City West and you are right, just under 25 million for the 11 month uh, period. And we are still uh, leasing it. I don't know when the lease uh, runs out, but I think the big mistake was while I accept at the time, nobody knew what way COVID-19 was going to affect this country. We were looking at harrowing scenes coming out of Italy and wondering, were we going to be in the same boat in a few weeks or a few months' time? So decisions had to be made very, very quickly. So they went into this procurement process and they booked out the hotel. But I think what they needed to have was they needed to put in some kind of a break clause into it, which meant that they could have ended the contract early if they didn't need City West. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like they had a break clause in. So I'm assuming it's been booked for a year. Is it? Are we coming to the end of it? I think we're 11 months into it. But it was 25 25 million. And I think in total, 2,443 people went in there at some stage, either for a night or two, or went in and did their two weeks uh, self-isolation. But at times, the occupancy was as low as just 26 people being in City West when they had capacity for, or the rooms have, there was 1,056 rooms and at some stage there was only 26 people inside in the hotel. So it does seem like it'd be one of those things that we look back on and think that seemed to be a bit of a waste of money. But wasn't there talks around ventilators as well that we bought that we weren't able to use? But all of that, no doubt, will come out when we look through the the history books uh, going into the future. But you're right, we still don't have a quarantine hotel. Why that can't be used, I don't know. And talking about history, this was something that made me smile when I saw this uh, yesterday. The reeling in the years, the pre-COVID years are going to be arriving on our TV screens. The reeling in the years, uh, the show is returning with highlights from the years 2010 to 2019. So back in 2010, what's going to feature? We're going to have the bank bailout in 2010. 2011, the visit of Queen Elizabeth is certainly going to feature very high. In 2012, Love Hate, that was the one everybody was talking about on the TV. In 2013, we had the very sad death of Nelson Mandela. 2014, without a shadow of a doubt, we're going to be talking a lot about Gareth Brooks. And remember the concerts that we thought were going ahead of Croke Park and the concerts that never uh, went ahead. 2015, we had the marriage equality uh, poll and uh, p- the the majority of people voted yes to marriage equality in 2015. 2016, we have the O'Donovan brothers pulling like a dog and 2017, something I think that shocked the world was the election of Donald Trump as a president of the United States of America and then right up to 2018 when we had the visit of post, post Pope Francis to this uh, country. But we're all, I certainly am very much looking forward to that reading in the years. One of the more popular programmes, by the way, for uh, RTE and 
and the new one which as I say will run will go from 2010 to 2019 it'll be on our screens from Sunday April the 11th at 8.30 on RTE1 and from that date then it will be available on the RTE player as well reading in the years uh, remembering the pre- COVID years. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme, here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie. Kinsale Atlantic Artists, they're doing Pink for Daffodil Day. It's a window and online exhibition and it's running up to Monday the 29th of March. Proceeds going directly to the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day Fund. And Knocknagree Community Development are inviting people to join their virtual charity walk. It's in aid of breast cancer research and their community hub. It is ongoing. Today is the last day. You can donate through their Instagram or Facebook page or contact Maraid on 087 2715419 and Down Syndrome Cork will celebrate World Down Syndrome Day on next Sunday the 21st of March with online concerts lots of great entertainers including Keith Barry Mario Rosenstock and many more you can join their celebrations and donate to support Down Syndrome Ireland at www.downsyndrome.ie forward slash branches Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to CMI Organisers of a Reclaim the Streets protest in Cork City yesterday say there's been a massive increase in domestic violence cases since the start of the pandemic. Around 100 people gathered on the Grand Parade for the demonstration which was organised by Rosa, Cork Socialist Feminist Network. Organisers ensued everybody in attendance was socially distant. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. And that everybody was wearing a mask. Our senior news reporter, Fiona Corcoran, attended the event... She socially distanced and she also wore a mask. She first spoke to organiser, Councillor Fiona Ryan. Well, I think um, many of uh, people uh, obviously saw the horrific uh, murder of Sarah Everett in, in the in UK and the, 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 the tidal wave of grief, not just in England, but internationally, that it brought forward. I think it really... Uh, almost re-traumatised a lot of women who kind of looked at their day-to-day patterns of, of how they exist and realised that for all that we are are trained at this point to, to be cautious, to be over-cautious, to be looking behind our shoulders, that it's not enough sometimes. Well, Sarah did everything right uh, and it still wasn't enough to protect her. Um, on Twitter, I was talking to someone uh, who, who was, was going over the Sarah Everett case talking about how she was taught from a very young age to uh, hold a key between her fingers and I realized my mother taught me that when I was barely in double digits and this is common sense but common sense actually when you analyze it breaks down into fear and why are we living in fear like this Uh, why can't we walk the streets at night without um, complete paranoia no one goes to violence immediately it is something that's built up Um, And I think the pandemic has really highlighted this because um, since the start of the pandemic, um, uh, cases of intimate partner violence have gone up uh, 88%. That is not a few bad eggs. That's something systemic that is wrong that has to be challenged. You mentioned the pandemic and there's been a lot of criticism both in the media and on social media about these kind of protests taking place during the pandemic. What would you say to the critics? Um, I think that um, there is a difference between what we're trying to do here and, to be honest, the more reckless um, anti-mask protests. uh, Anyone who wants to participate in this, it requires wearing a mask. We've chalked out two metre social distances so that people can can show their anger, but safely. Um, We're not approaching this in a reckless way. The pandemic is very real, very dangerous. And in Cork, especially with cases going lower, that's something we need to protect. But we think that uh, safe, essential protests can be done, such as the Debenhams workers showed, um, without endangering the participants or the public. But that protest is still essential. The lack of education um, that the schools are providing, it isn't enough. But I think a big thing is it starts at home as well, to know. So I think to know the future generations, like we are getting better at it, so the younger generations. But I think parents have a responsibility amongst themselves to have conversations with uh, particularly like most certainly uh, young boys to like teach them to know how to respect women and yeah do you know what I mean like that's a What do you make of the hashtag not all men and that campaign that was doing the rounds after what happened to Sarah Everard? See 
I, th- I thought it was you know interesting they're all saying that, no, not all men but the statistics are 97% of women had been sexually assaulted in the UK and I kept seeing a lot of people saying you know, not all men but like you know the stats don't lie you know there is an extreme issue but I, I think it's kind of like we are born into a sexist misogynistic world so my controversial opinion would be that it is all men it is all men we're born into an, an awful world it's just which men are going to teach themselves the correct way as they grow older so that's, based, that's my take on it you know heard one of your peers belittling a woman in any way or you know if you saw them out on a night out yeah. after after covid and they were making an unwanted advance at a woman would you step in or would you have the courage to tell them to to cop on well i think um particularly like you know i surround myself with like-minded people so i don't think one of my like well that's kind of that's the stigma again as well but of course yeah if something ever did happen i think it is your uh, job as a person on standby to intervene you know like that you need to take care of women protect them etc like it it is our job because if people are out here saying oh it's not me well you still have a role to play you still need to intervene for the for the people that are treating women horribly you know do you feel safe as a woman walking around court um, I would say that I don't. I do think I'm quite lucky in that I have um, quite a deterring image about me. Um, I don't think, I think if anyone's listening to this right now, I'm quite heavily tattooed. Um, I think that I'm a bit out of the age range for a lot of the predators you might see in Cork City. For example, um, I might be in my mid-twenties, but I know that my 17-year-old sister experiences almost double the harassment I would. And I remember experiencing that same level of harassment at that time. Um, Although, obviously, catcalling and regular harassment is still an issue of my day-to-day life. And, you know, for example, if you want to go for a jog, you know, do you plan what time you go specifically so that you'll be safe? Do you plan what clothing you're going to wear? Um, Even if you do everything, and I put this in air quotes, right, there is still a chance that you will be harmed. Um, And if you are harmed, there's the chance that you could go missing. You're going to be maybe presumed a runaway. The presumptions we make solely based on the way a person lives their lives, specifically women, you know, we judge them based off family status, income status, um, much more so than men. Um, And there are a lot of people that will ask the question, men men face violence too does that does that bother you absolutely it does but majority of men face violence from other men not from women um and i think this is a really important point that we need to hammer home here so in short to answer your question sorry very political response but no i I don't i don't and i i really am angry because i have three sisters um and i'm the oldest and i i've somewhat become hardened to the situations i face every day but i have a 13 year old sister you know and I, i would go to jail to protect her without a doubt in my mind I think it's definitely really important and it's a really good step forward that we're all able to come out now and talk about things openly and we can learn from it a lot, I'd say, if we just all be patient and come to these kind of events and learn from the people around us, really. With the streets at the moment that I just wouldn't comfortably walk on my own at night or even if it's getting dark, I'd make plans to ensure that wouldn't happen. At the moment, anyway, I just think lighting and just there are certain streets everyone knows in Cork not to go down on your own. And you'd always be watching your back if you have to go down them. And I personally wouldn't even take the journey if I had to go down it alone at the moment. I'd avoid it. <laughs> I think it's a shame that a young woman can't walk around the city where she's from without feeling like that. Definitely it is, definitely. I don't think it's fair to have to plan and make alterations or go home early or be collected from outside the door. When Cork is such a beautiful city and we should all be able to enjoy it and spend time in it and feel comfortable and know that we won't be harmed or hurt in any way on our way home. And uh, thanks to Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, for reta- for attending that uh, the Reclaim the Streets protest, which was in the Grand Parade in Cork yesterday. Some of your thoughts coming into us by text. I mentioned nursing homes, and they are. 
the new guidelines for visiting restrictions kick in on next Monday. A listener says, unfortunately, Patricia, what about children living in full-time residential care who are under the age of 16? When will parents get to visit them? Yeah, and there's no sign of vaccinations for under 16s at the moment. That is heartbreaking. Thank you for your text. And Mary sees a little bit of unfairness when it comes to how some non-essential businesses are not allowed to open. She was in the city and needed to go into a DIY store to pick up some items. And she said, to my surprise and disappointment, I found that the garden centre, which was attached to the DIY centre, was open. It was busy, but orderly. My disappointment lies in the fact that our local gardens centres cannot open as it's not deemed essential. How unfair is this? How peeved these business owners must be feeling? No thought has gone into planning for such businesses. Some are not, will never open again, which will be a huge shame. Also, I certainly hope that the 5k limit will be extended to at least allowing us to travel around our own uh, county from the 5th of April. And remember, thanks for that, Mary. I know florist shops as well were very disappointed at the, like, the Valentine's Day and Mother's Day now, I know they were able to do uh, delivery, but when you looked at the supermarkets that were awash with flowers and the supermarkets are open because obviously they're deemed essential, but it did seem unfair that they were able to sell so many flowers while the florist shop was closed and couldn't even do uh, click, and, click and collect. So it does, uh, my heart does go out to the garden centres because this is the time of year when garden centres would be at their busy, busiest and yet DIY stores that and some DIY stores do have a garden centre attached, they are allowed to remain open because of course the DIY aspect uh, is deemed uh, essential. It does seem unfair. 1850 333 103. Let's take a break and we are back to Talking movies with Mark Malone. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, uh, joins us with some suggestions of movies to watch this weekend. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Okay, you've watched two movies for us. One is called The Little Things and the second one is called My Spy. Here is a trailer from The Little Things. After two months and four victims, you don't have a suspect. Things probably changed a lot since you left. You still got to catch him, right? Not that much has changed then. I want to nail him. I want to nail him too. Can I help you? Difference is, I'm doing this for me. It's the little things, Jimmy. It's the little things that rip you apart. It's the little things that get you caught. Okay, this is described as a crime drama and a thriller. Yeah, kind of a psychological kind of crime drama. Uh, the interesting thing is that there's a few interesting things about this film. Uh, first of all, it's uh, written and directed by a guy by the name of John Lee Hancock, who only seems to make films of the in the title. So he's directed The Rookie. He's directed The Animal, The Blind Side, The Founder, The Highwayman. So uh, <laughs> here we have uh, The Little Things. Is there and, any reason uh, why he so puts a there in front of everything? No? I have absolutely no. no idea. Obviously, it's just something that he just likes doing for some strange reason. Or it just could be a coincidence. But uh, sorry, I, I suppose in a way I doubt that somehow. Anyway, so this has uh, Denzel Washington in the film. And he plays this kind of world-weary kind of old cop who's coming kind of to the end of his career. And we know that earlier in his career, um, because of the stress of a particular uh, case that he was working on, he did have a triple heart uh, bypass. So he's kind of uh, he's kind of tired of the job. And because of this particular um, case that he'd been working on previously, he's beginning just to see out the, the rest of his career. 
uh, he's sent to Los Angeles for what should have been a kind of a, a quick evidence gathering assignment. Instead, uh, he meets up with Remy Malik, who plays the character here of Jim Baxter. Now, Remy Malik is kind of the new hotshot kind of um, detective in town, but Remy Malik sees something in Denzel Washington and knows that this particular case that Denzel Washington was working in the past has similarities to this one. And that's when they begin to wonder, is there a serial killer here at work? So Rami goes to Denzel and says, look, would you help me to work on this case? And Denzel says, look, this is a case that, uh, you know, almost killed me. I'm not sure I really want to. But because he's still deep down passionately involved in the case, he desperately wants to um, to crack the case. He, he agrees uh, to work alongside Rami Malek. And as the title of the um, film says, and also it was referenced there in the trailer, it's the little things that he's very, very good at, the little things that will crack a case, and this is the kind of things that he tries to teach Rami Malek um, um, in the course of trying to crack this case. Whilst they're doing that, they come into contact with Jared Leto, who plays this character called Albert Sparmer, who's a really nasty, kind of slimy kind of piece of work. And so there's this kind of there's a lovely kind of ambiguous kind of nature throughout this whole film. First of all, you, you don't really believe in the relationship between Denzel Washington and Rami Malek. Are they friends or are they not? And also the fact that uh, they believe that Jared Leto is the killer. But then you are constantly questioning yourself. Can <laughs> he possibly be the killer? Is he the killer or is he just playing with them? Because he plays this kind of really kind of terrific kind of cat and mouse kind of game with them. And he always seems to be kind of one step ahead of them. Um, the other interesting thing about it, two more things is that, first of all, the film is set in 1990, which is actually happening with a lot of modern movies, I think. Why? Because it's pre-mobile phones, which, of course, uh. you know, mobile phones, I've said this before, <laughs> pretty much ruined kind of modern movies. And the other thing, too, is, and it's an old bugbear of mine, uh, where most of the film, for some reason, is filmed completely at night. And, in fact, there's, um, there's a scene where Rami Malek and Denzel Washington, they, they, they put in a kind of a night duty. It's first thing in the morning, the sun is coming up, and Rami says, can I buy you breakfast? Denzel says, yes. The next shot has them getting out of the Jeep, and it's nighttime again. So I don't know where the day went, um, <laughs> but um, it's constantly filmed. And, uh, yeah, it's, you, know, you, know, you know when a day just gets past you and you don't know where it's been. And um, the thing about this is that it's been kind of, there's, there's been a bit of a lot of sniffy kind of uh, reviews to it. And then some people aren't really, really keen on it. And, you know, um, some have said it's complete rubbish. It is certainly not complete rubbish. Um, there's a particular um, movie reviewer uh, in England who's very, very well respected, who thought the film was terrible and hated Jared Lato. He thought his performance was awful. I completely disagree with him. I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was terrific. I thought Jared Leto was great. He was nominated for a Golden Globe, so uh, other people agree with me. The weird performance in it, though, is Rami Malek, uh, who puts in this very, very odd, very strange kind of ma mannered kind of um, uh, performance, which is very, very strange. And um, and I didn't particularly like that very much. The rest of the film I did, yes, it's slow moving at times. It does take its time to kind of engineer kind of tension. And um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was terrific because, uh, first of all, I like watching Denzel. You know, we've seen that tired cop routine by actors before who would then put in a kind of a one note performance. This isn't. This is full of intelligence and, and, and talent. And he's always worth watching. Actually. Yeah. And so, look, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. And I would recommend people to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a bad Denzel Washington movie. I love, love watching him in, a, in anything. OK, so the little things market out of 10. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. Okay. And where's that? Is that streaming? Where's that streaming at the moment? I streamed that from Google Play. Now, it's a kind of what they call a kind of a, 
it's a new movie that kind of didn't make it to the cinema, so therefore it can be a little bit costly. Now, there are cheaper films out there. Um, it uh, cost me, I think it was fifteen ninety nine. so keep that in mind. But, you know, if you if you shop around, I think there are films out there if you uh, uh, that are cheaper. But that one was quite expensive, okay. so keep that in mind. All right, then your second one is an action comedy, and it's called My Spy. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that we've seen a number of times before where a kind of a big, big, kind of muscly kind of cop or kind of... Uh, special forces operator or CIA guy kind of teams up with a little girl, a kind of a precocious little girl. And uh, we've seen it that a number of times before. And in fact, this film kind of follows that kind of routine uh, to uh, the hilt, really. And it kind of references it. It, it kind of, it's kind of very self-knowing, this film, because it self-references a lot of other films that are very similar to that. Uh, this uh, stars uh, David Batista, who is also um, produced here. And he is this huge, huge man. Um, but he has the kind of lovely, kind of sweet, kind of comic touch to him. And as I said, we've seen it before. I think we saw it with um, The Rock, didn't he do? He did um, The Tooth Fairy, mm. for example. Uh, I think there was a film called The Punisher, I think, with um, with Vin Diesel. He, too, had to babysit a number of kind of young kids in that film. So um, it's a kind of a, we, we've seen it before. It's a kind of a, a common trope we've seen before. But they tend to work, and especially with former wrestlers who, for some reason, are terrific actors. And David Batista does. I mean, we saw that in Guardians of the Galaxy. He has this lovely, lovely kind of comic touch. So you've got this huge man being manipulated by this kind of nine-year-old little girl. And it, it works. It's very sweet. There's terrific chemistry uh, between David Batista and uh, the little girl here, where he's a CIA oper- operative. He's got to go undercover to surveil her family. And she lives alone with this little girl, lives alone with her mother, whose um, husband, former husband, is up to all kinds of n- nasty and naughty stuff. And then, unfortunately, the little girl um, discovers what uh, David Batista is up to. But instead of kind of telling her mother or going to the police, she, because she's quite lonely, she's in a new city, decides to manipulate uh, David Batista into becoming her friend. So he then has to do it because he doesn't want to be revealed as to who he is. So she ends up kind of, you know, having kind of tea parties with him. Uh, she ends up, you know, bringing him to school as her mentor. And it's it's funny. And it, it it's not always funny. I mean, there are times when it's really funny. I mean, there's a lovely running joke, for example, where when there's bullets flying around and David Batista in the car and he's trying to find on the radio a song that he likes. And he usually ends up with a kind of a Britney Spears song. So that's kind of really <laughs> funny. And there's lots of there's lots of kind of movie references as well. I mean, there's a fight scene, for example, where he's next to a kind of a leaking kind of oil tanker and next to a, the, 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 the spinning blades of a plane. And somebody goes, this seems very, very familiar. And of course, it's the scene that's completely lifted from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And somebody says, all we need now is a bunch of Nazis. So there were times when the film kind of reaches kind of comic levels that are really excellent. And I was laughing out loud. Unfortunately, what I would have loved to have seen is this character by David Batista in a kind of an adult comedy. Um, and I think that would have been great with the same kind of um, kind of obscure kind of sense of humor to it uh, instead of uh, what, what it is. But for what it is, I thought it was really entertaining. I thought it was good. There's some lovely comic moments in it. Uh, but in the main, I think it's look, we've seen this before. We've seen it a hundred times before, uh, but it's still pretty good and I still recommend it. And the little girl, Chloe Coleman, have we seen her before? Um, I, I don't know if I've seen her. I, yeah. I have seen her before. I don't know. But, but the two of them work really well together. I mean, they really are terrific. She is very precocious, but not in the kind of a, an annoying way. Yeah. Um, she's very sweet and she really, really does work. And um, I really enjoyed a lot of it. Some of it I could have done without. But in the main, for this type of thing, I think it's it works. It works. OK, my spy yeah. market out of 10. 
I'll give it seven. Seven out of ten. Okay, listen, thanks for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat to you next Friday. You uh, thanks. That's Mark Malone, our movie review. That's what I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick's with you for the afternoon and we're back with you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. On to the I'm Patricia Messenger. Uh, enjoy your weekend and stay safe. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.